Well, hey, good morning, Forefront. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those, and we'll open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. If you're tuning in online, uh, welcome. Good morning. It's good to, uh, to have you with us this morning. Hope everybody's having a great weekend and staying warm and staying safe on those slick roads. Think with me for a moment. Let's say you were, you were meeting a friend or you were going in for a job interview and somebody asked you the question, what is the greatest accomplishment in your life? What would you say? If somebody said, what is that, that thing that maybe has been the, the greatest or the most rewarding aspect of life, what would that be for you? I think some of us would maybe liken it to, to a family, to maybe a career accomplishment, to a, a goal you said that you reached. And whatever that, that thing is, I want to ask, was it easy? That, that great reward, that great accomplishment you had, did it come easy for you? So I would say for, for many of us, it, it didn't. I would say for the majority of us, that thing we are most proud of, that greatest accomplishment, the most rewarding aspect of our lives, took a lot of work. It, it took a lot of effort. Maybe it didn't come natural, but we gave it our all, and we saw a great reward because of it. You know, there, there seems to be this, uh, this kind of concept in life that the, 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 the road to the greatest reward typically is the most difficult. I think we can look back over history and we can see people who changed the world, people who have, uh, have moved us forward, and we see that it didn't come easy, that it was hard, it was difficult, it took a lot of work. They had to go all in. I think of guys like Sir James Dyson. Anybody have a Dyson vacuum? Ever owned a Dyson vacuum? Well, you can thank this guy. He had this vision, I'm going I'm to create the bagless vacuum. But he didn't figure it out on his first try. He failed more than 5,000 times, 5,000 prototypes. Finally, created what we know as the Dyson vacuum. How about Thomas Edison? You know, Thomas Edison was told by his teachers they would never amount to anything. He failed a thousand times at creating the electric lamp, only to create and push forward what we have lighting our room today. A man that succeeded by all of our wildest imaginations, yet failed over a thousand times. How about Walt Disney? Walt Disney was fired by the Kansas City Star for lacking imagination. Believe, if you can believe that or not. And it said he would never accomplish anything. He lacked creativity. How about Van Gogh? Anybody have a print of a Van Gogh? Ever had a print of a Van Gogh painting at home? I had one, Starry Night, one of my favorites. You know that Van Gogh only sold one painting in his life, and it was near the end of his life, but now if you went to buy a Van Gogh painting, it would cost you $100 million? He failed over and over again. And then, of course, the best example, Michael Jordan, Lost 300 games, missed over 9,000 shots, but still known as the greatest. And that's not up for debate, okay? The greatest. We just see this concept in life. There's this universal truth that the greatest reward typically comes through the most difficult path. And you know this is true in your life. You think in your life you want to accomplish something great, you want to help people, you really want to be in a place to, to lead change it's going to take going all in. It's going to take giving everything you have, and it's going to mean that it's going to be difficult. You know, I, I like to think that the superheroes of our time are, are surgeons and doctors. And if you look at the path it takes to become a surgeon, you know it's not an easy one. You've got to go get a bachelor's degree, then you get into med school. Then you have certain grades to get into med school. You go to med school, you get your graduate degree. Not after, not, and after that, you have to spend three to seven years in internships and residency programs, incurring hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, of debt, 
working for pennies for years before you ever get to do the thing you're dreaming of doing. But you do it because you know the reward is going to be great. You're going to be able to help people. You're going to be able to change lives. You're going to be able to save lives. For those of you that are business owners, you guys know that you have to pour your heart and your soul into your business. Otherwise, it won't succeed. The, the road to opening a business or a restaurant or uh, in real estate, whatever it is, it's hard. It's difficult. It's long. But wow, is it rewarding. Think of the greatest athletes. Think of the world-class musicians. The effort it takes it never comes easy. Yes, it takes natural talent, but it's never easy. So there's this universal truth, and you say, well, why would someone want to go that hard road? It's because at some level, they believe the reward is worth it. So let me ask you this. If the greatest reward, if the God of the, who created the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence, the one that made you, the one that made me, the one who brings us in here together, if knowing him is the greatest reward of all, then wouldn't it make sense that coming to live the life he created us to live would be difficult. See, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the answer is yes. But the greatest rewards in life always come through the difficult path. In Matthew chapter 7, we've been working our way through a series called Choices as we're wrapping up a year-long study in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're seeing how Jesus is showing us how to really bring it all together. For two-plus chapters, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is. And now he's, he, he's showing us how to, how to bring it all together to, to make sure we're living in that kingdom. And so as he starts to wrap this up, we're going to look at some verses today that are pretty tough, that, that are pretty challenging, that are really difficult verses. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying the stakes are so high for you to be the person God has called you to be, for you to live the life that he created you to live, it's going to be hard. It's probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it's going to be absolutely worth it. Let's look and see how Jesus puts it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Look with me here. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that lead to life. And those who find it are few. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus' words today. Lord, we pray that they challenge us, they convict us, as we're talking about which path to choose. As Jesus talks about that, that there's just two paths. There's the wide path, and there's the narrow path. And and Lord, what are you calling us to do? Who are you calling us to be? How are you calling us to live out this, this new identity we have in you and, and to live in this kingdom that, yet you are, that you have brought and that you are continually bringing? Father, we come to you today, uh, Lord, and we just ask that you step into our situations. As Pastor Darren prayed earlier, Lord, it, it's okay for us to, to be sad in a, in a difficult season. But we know, Lord, that you are with us. You are guiding us each and every step of the way. So, Lord, help us to find our strength and our trust in you no matter how we feel. Because we know that you are good. You are so good. And you are always there, always faithful. Father, this week we learned the really sad news that Cheryl Levis, brother-in-law, uh, Hugo Flores passed away. And so, Father, our hearts go out to Cheryl and her sister Barbara, the Alibas and the Flores family. Lord, I just pray that you, you wrap your arms around them, draw them to you, give them the strength and the courage and the peace that they need to make it through this really tough season. Help us as a church to come alongside them in any way we can. 
Father, we pray for those in our family, those in our church family, our extended family in this neighborhood, this city, that have been walking through tough times. Father, we pray for uh, the, the people who are living in the South and in Texas and the Southern states who have, uh, are, are just, have experienced just a cold and a freeze like they haven't seen in years before. Uh, many people are, have had pipes break in their homes, have had homes flooded, are not able to, um, are having to stay in hotels. And so, we, Father, we just pray for, uh, for that entire part of our country, Lord. Uh, just give them peace and help them to look to you during this difficult time. So, Father, I pray as we look at your word today, give us, give us um, just some energy and, and some understanding around how we can live your way. And I pray, Father, as we leave today, we look more like Jesus than when we came. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus is saying some really difficult things here. Some really difficult things as far as our culture goes. And really, this verse is one of those really challenging verses that, that, that people have a, a really hard time with. It's a difficult verse because what Jesus is saying is that there are only two roads. There are only two ways to live, and only one of them leads to life. Jesus boils all of life down to something so simple. The complexities of life and relationship and challenges. He boils it all down to this one idea that says there are two ways to live. But only one of them leads to life. Here in verse 13 and 14, he gives us this picture. It's two roads, two gates, two crowds, and two very different destinations. He says one path is, is wide one path is appealing. One path looks good. It, it, it's easy. And that's where everybody's at. He says that path leads to destruction, according to Jesus. But on the other side is this narrow path. It's not pretty. It looks difficult. It looks hard. It's not a path that you would typically want to go. There's not very many people on it. But that path, Jesus says, actually leads to life. Notice the contrast. Notice the, the difficulty there. See, now what Jesus says here to our modern world is offensive. It, it, it's, it's exclusive. It, it's narrow-minded. And we live in a culture that, that, that hates exclusivity. Really, in our culture today, the two things you don't want to be is narrow and exclusive. But this is what Jesus is. This is what Jesus is saying. See, we live in a culture and a society that says, you follow the road that's true for you. You do what feels right to you. Because all roads are true. All places, all roads and all paths are true. All roads and all paths lead to the top of the mountain. But I just think we should just push pause for a moment, I think, and just say, I think we realize that isn't true. I think we realize that not all paths are true. That not all things are true. I mean, there's just truths in life that, are meant to be good for us, and there's things that are meant to be, that are bad for us. Just think, eating Tide Pods are not a good source of nutrition, right? I think we can agree with that. If, if drinking a milkshake every morning for breakfast will not lead to weight loss, right? I just think that's kind of a natural understanding. Fascism and communism never work because someone with an evil heart always rises to the top. And no matter how much you want to get to Europe, if you get in a boat and leave Los Angeles, you're going to run into Asia, right? It's just natural truce. Not all roads lead to the top of the mountain. Some roads lead to Kansas. Sorry, Darren. Just the reality. Some roads go the opposite direction. But I just think there's just this understanding. And, but also, if you say that every worldview has validity 
and one isn't more right than another, then you're self-defeating. Then you're canceling yourself out. Why? Because every worldview is, is exclusive. Every worldview is narrow. If, if you, even the worldview that says every worldview is right except the exclusive ones, because by saying that everybody else is right except this one worldview, what are you doing? You're being exclusive, right? Every worldview is narrow. Every worldview is exclusive. It's just, are you humble and brave enough to admit it? So Jesus is telling us here that it may seem like there's all these roads. It may seem like there's all these ways that you can get to him, that you can get to God, that you can find your way, but it's just not true. There's two. There's the road that Jesus came to bring, and then there's the road that everything else funnels into. This road leads to life, and this road leads to destruction. And this road that's wide and it's broad, it's full of everybody, like a Los Angeles highway. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that seems like hell to me. <laughs> it doesn't seem like too much fun. I had a buddy that lived in LA and he worked an hour from where he lived. He worked a mile from where he lived. If he rode his bike, it took him 10 minutes. If he got it, took a car, it took him an hour and a half. Now, I don't want to be stuck on that, but there is something comforting to be with the majority, isn't there? I mean, let's just be real about it. In life, there is something comforting about doing what other people do. It's why we like to, to take polls in our nation, right? We like to read surveys and understand what other people are thinking because it helps us find our way. So we want to do what other people do. We want to think like other people think. We want to live like other people live. It's comfortable. It's easy. It's the wide road, according to Jesus. Back in Missouri in the fall, we would have starlings that would go out and you would see them out in, in the sky and typically over uh, a field that had, had been harvested. And, um, if you guys have ever seen starlings before in the sky, it's the most incredible thing. You can have tens of thousands of birds in one, in one group and the way they navigate their way through the sky is incredible. Just And they just turn on a dime and, and I don't know, they've got some kind of like radar frequency going on, but one turns and 10,000 turn. I think it's a good picture for our culture. Our culture seems to be turning quickly. You know, just think about our culture today, 5, 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't even recognize what we see today. Culture changes and moves and everybody just kind of follow along with it. Hey, that makes sense, let's go. But the reality is culture is always changing. I mean, I think we look back on our grandparents, what they thought 50 years ago, and we thought, that, that's crazy. Someday people are going to look back on us 50 years from now and think what we think is crazy too. Culture's always changing, right? What's butter? No, it's margarine. Smoking's good for you. No, smoking's not good for you. Eat three square meals a day. No, you need to fast 12 to 14 hours a day. Which one's right? How do you know? Culture is always changing. And when it changes, we kind of all jump on board because that's where everybody else is going. That's the direction that the world seems to go. So I'm going to go that way too. But I think we need to realize that culture isn't always right. This is a picture from 1934 Germany. I think today, anybody that sees that picture obviously sees what was going on there was wrong. But that's pop culture in 1934 in Germany. That felt right. And we look back on it and said, no, no, we see through the lens of history that it was not right. That was so wrong. See, pop culture always doesn't get it right. Often, it gets it wrong. So what Jesus is telling us here, he's saying, look, there's two paths. There's the one path that everybody's on. 
that seems to be appealing, that seems easy, that seems to come naturally. Then there's this little path over here that you would never want to get on your own. But I'm telling you, this is the path that you need to stay on if you want to experience life and the life that I came to bring. But that road is narrow and small and you can't take all your bags. It's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt at times, but it's going to be worth it every step of the way. So here's the question. How do you know you're on the right path? Jesus is, I think, telling us this for us to do a heart examination to know if we're on the right path or not. So how do we know which path we're on? How do we know if we've entered through the right gate? Well, Jesus tells us this in John chapter 10. John 10, 9 and 10, he says this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes in to steal and kill and destroy But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the door. You want to know if you found the right path, if if you've gone through the right gate? Well, the way you know is it's through me. And it's a hard path. It's a difficult path. But when you enter through this gate, you get everything I have to give. And that is the abundant life you were created to live. So I, I think the question for us we have to ask, and this is the question our culture needs to ask, is who is right? Is it Jesus from 2,000 years ago? Jesus who's sitting on a, on, a, on a small little mountain in Galilee teaching to a group of first century Jewish men and women about the kingdom of God. Is, is it Jesus that's right? Or is it culture? Is it pop culture that seems to always change? Which one of them are right? I think the better question to ask to really help us identify is who do we think Jesus really is? Is Jesus God? Because if Jesus isn't God, then what's the point of listening to any of this? If Jesus isn't God, then it's like C.S. Lewis said. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the son of God. He can't just be a good teacher. And you can't just pull out what you like out of the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves and live by the golden rule, but skip all of this stuff about the way to follow Jesus being tough. So Jesus isn't the son of God, then why pay attention to any of it? But Jesus is the son of God, then it doesn't really matter what culture says. It matters what the one who created the world and spoke it into existence and who came and gave his life for us and went to the cross and rose from the grave. I think it matters what he has to say. So who do you think is right? Who is right? Is it the creator of the universe? Or is it a small planet in the corner of the universe? My money is going on the guy who rose from the grave. I don't know about you guys, but that's who I'm going with. Who is right? What path are you on? When you look at your life, do you fall in with the majority or do you fall in with the few? Because Jesus says, when you look at your life and you fall in spiritually with the majority, you're probably on the wrong path. So I think in in, in a gentle way, Jesus is trying to tell us this. He's trying to say that choosing the right path requires filtering out the wrong voices. That if we're going to follow Jesus on this path, then we have to get rid of those negative voices in our lives, the voice is trying to lead us down the wrong path. The voice is trying to tell us that the wide, easy path is the way to go. Look what Jesus says in verse 15 through 20. He kind of throws this interesting section in here. It's about false prophets. And sometimes we think, oh, this, does this make sense? But it, it does. Hang with me. It flows. Jesus says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, Jesus, this sounds kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but Jesus is warning us, since there's only two paths, make sure that you're not being drawn down the wrong one. You know, I think sometimes it's easy when we hear this like false teacher, this, you know, Jesus saying, beware of these false teachers. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of imagine like an orc from the Lord of the Rings, right? Sneaking into your bedroom at night. Come with me. You know, like, let's take you to Mordor, right? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus instead says that the, the people that are the ones you got to watch out for, they actually look like sheep, but are really ravenous wolves. They look like somebody you'd want to listen to. They write really good books. They preach really good sermons. They make a lot of sense. But yet, their fruit identifies them as a false teacher, as somebody who's trying to take you down the wrong path. They don't look the part. They look good. They got great hair and white teeth and dress nice. But really, underneath all that sheep's clothing, they're wolves wanting to take you the wrong way. And Jesus says, here's how you know if they're good or bad. Here's how you know those voices in the world that are trying to, to tell you that all roads are true. You know them by their fruit. And so if they're not teaching Jesus that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the only way, then that is going to expose them for who they are. Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and he says this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The time has come. We live in that world that says that the wide path is easy and it's good and it takes you where you want to go. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Who are you letting in? What voices are you listening to? Sometimes I like to take the kids out. We go on a hike or I go on a, on a mountain bike ride and uh, you ever found yourself, you're out in the, in the, in, on a trail and you end up on a wrong trail? You ever, you ever done that? You're just out walking around or you're hiking or you're riding and you take a turn and the next thing you know you're out in the middle of nowhere, you've never been there before. And you try to look back and you can't find a map and you realize well, you took the wrong turn. You know, it's like driving on a windy road, right? If you don't keep your eyes down the road, what's going to happen? You're going to drift. Drift off the road. Jesus said we need to pay attention to where we're going. We need to watch what path we're on because it's going to be so easy to be drawn off that path. And, and so I think Jesus is talking to us today and he's saying, who are you listening to? What books are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to during the week? What is the message? Because if the message isn't Jesus and the, the narrow, difficult way, then I think he needs to tell you you need to trash that thing because it's not the right voice. You got to filter that one out. See, I think this is what Jesus is really trying to boil all this down to. And he's saying this. He's saying, check to see that you are on the right path. Look at your life. Look at the way you live. Look at the voices and the people you are letting into your life and make sure that you are on the right path because it's so easy to get off that path. Look at verse 21, what Jesus says here. I gotta be honest. Verse 21, this is one of the most challenging sections of the Bible. Like this, this scares me. As a kid and growing up, when I would read this, it would just, it would, freak me out. Because I'm like, hold on, Jesus, these are, the thing, these are the things that you would think would symbolize somebody who's on the right road, but yet you're saying they're not. And I think what Jesus is saying is there are people who look like they're on the right path, 
but who aren't. There's people who look and, and, and live and do things that you would say they're on the path to life, but really Jesus is saying they're on the path to destruction. Notice what he says. This is really challenging stuff. Verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, notice that phrase, on that day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then verse 23, this is this one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Jesus says this, and then, I, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If Jesus calls you lawless, that's a bad thing. You don't want to be called lawless. That's not good. That's not good at all. I think Jesus is giving us this tough section of text. To, he wants to do some heart surgery on us. He wants us to look in and, and, and see, are we on the right path? That phrase I told you to, to notice, on that day, that's the last day. That's judgment day. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that on judgment day, he's going to be the one judging. Some people will say, well, Jesus never claims to be God in the Bible. He does right there. That's why Jesus can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be this good moral teacher. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the son of God. We see he is the son of God. And he wants to give us a little nudge of fear to help make sure we're on the right road. See, whether you realize it or not, I think most of us get this, we're all motivated by fear. Like in life, fear is a motivator. The question is, are you motivated by rational fear or irrational fear? Because sometimes fear is, is visible and sometimes fear is hidden. Sometimes our fear is obvious and sometimes it's under the surface. But fear motivates us. It motivates us to get up and go to work. It motivates us in our relationships. And Jesus is saying, he's not bringing us fear. He's saying, I want you to redirect your fears. To make sure that you're allowing the right kind of fear drive you. Because the wrong kind of fear can drive you away from the right path, the path to life. But there can also be the right kind of fear that can make sure you're staying on the right path. And so when we're thinking, what are we more afraid of? What people say? What culture is saying? Not wanting to appear narrow-minded? Are we more focused on making sure that we're living the life that Jesus created us to live? So Jesus is saying, which path are you on? And notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying being on the right path isn't dictated necessarily by what you do, but it's dictated by the relationship that you're in. Notice, this is really interesting. Jesus is saying that orthodoxy isn't enough. That, that being in the kingdom of heaven, it isn't enough just to say the right things. Look back at verse 21. This picture he's given us of somebody at, at, at judgment saying, on that last thing, say, but Lord, Lord, rightly identifying Jesus as, as Lord, that's good. Orthodoxy is good. Having a mental ascent of who Jesus is is good, but it's not enough on its own. But notice next, Jesus says here that, that zeal and fervency and passion aren't enough either. Notice what they said. They said, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. We were prophesying your name. We were preaching your name. We were casting out demons. We were doing all these kind of things. And I think Jesus would say, well, being passionate about God is good. The, the phrase Lord, Lord in uh, first century times was a way of expressing emotion. So like in Isaiah 6, if you guys know that amazing scene, if you don't read it today, it's so amazing. 
of Isaiah is in the temple of God, God's throne room, and he sees the angels, the seraphim, and they're, they're flapping. They've got two wings flapping, one covering their eyes, one covering their feet, and they're chanting, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. That idea, holy, 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 Lord, Lord, it's a way of expressing passion, and it's good to be passionate about God, but that isn't enough on its own. But notice this one. This one's really crazy. This one's really scary. Jesus says here that ministry, doing ministry, serving God on its own isn't enough either. Look what he says. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? And what does Jesus say to them? I didn't even know you. Jesus is saying it, it, Doing ministry and, and acts of service and loving your neighbor and doing all these things that you would think a Christian would do, those are good things. But just doing those on their own aren't enough either. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying? Look back at verse 23. He says, I will declare to them I never knew you. See, it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. Do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? So how do you know you're on the right path? How do you know you entered through the right gate? How do you know you're not like one of these people who thought they were on the path, but they weren't? Jesus is trying to give us a little prodding to make sure we entered the right way. Look back at verse 21. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the what? The will. One who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those who do God's will are on the right path. So what's God's will? Well, we get a really good picture in John 6, 40. Turn there if you want. I'll put the words on the screen. Jesus says this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is God's will? It's for you to believe. For you to, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus came and gave his life for you, and that new life is available through Jesus, because think about it. Believing is so much more than mentally ascending to something. Believing is, is so much deeper than that. Belief leads to trust, and you don't trust in someone or something you don't know. So when you believe and you put your faith in Jesus and who he is and what he came to do and what he says about you, you come to know Jesus, and Jesus knows you. It's interesting, in John 6, after Jesus says this, he tells the crowd, he's got this huge crowd following, and he tells the crowd, I am the bread of life. And he says some really hard things, and everybody leaves. Everybody realizes that narrow road's gonna be way too hard, and they all go home, except for the 12. And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, well, are you gonna leave too? And Peter, as Peter can only do, he says, well, where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. It's hard, it's difficult, it's narrow, it doesn't look like it's gonna be any fun, but that is the path to the life you were created to live. See, don't mess this forefront. If you take anything away from what we're talking about today, it's this, that following Jesus, choosing the narrow road, isn't about what we say or how we feel or how we act, but it's about having a relationship with Jesus because there's plenty of people who say the right things, who are passionate about God, who are even serving in a church or loving their neighbor, and you say, man, what a great example of somebody who's on the right path, but really they don't know Jesus at all. And so Jesus just wants to give us a little prod and ask or make sure we're checking our hearts to say, do we know him? Are we on the right path? As we close today, 
I think Jesus is wanting to, to ask us, to really kind of drive us into this question. If you imagine you've come to the end of your life, or it's the last day, and you're, 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 you, you open your eyes, and, and there's Jesus. You, you see Jesus. You see the, the sinless Son of God who came to this world, who spoke this word into existence, who has revealed himself to us, and now you've come face to face with Jesus Christ himself. And now you're walking up to Jesus. Imagine, you're walking up to the king of kings and he's just standing there in all his brilliance. What are you thinking in that moment? As you're walking up to Jesus, what's in your head? Are you, you probably don't even know what you're gonna say. We can't even come up with words. But in that moment, are we trying to come up with our resume? Well, Lord, Lord, I, I, I did all these things. God, I, I tried hard. I did all these things for you. And when you walk up to Jesus, just imagine What's he going to say to you? When you walk up to Jesus, is he going to look at you? And you get up there and Jesus gives a smile and opens his arms and says, welcome home. And your heart's just going to melt. Or do you walk up in that moment and Jesus looks at you and says, who are you? See, nothing is scarier than that. Nothing is scarier than coming face to face with the one who gave his life for me and traded places with me and me thinking that I did everything you wanted me to do and then realizing that it was simply about a relationship with him and I missed it. Friends, don't miss it. Don't miss it. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what do you believe about Jesus? Because if he truly is God, the Son of God who stepped into this world for you, traded places with you on the cross, rose from the grave so that you can have new life. If all of that is true, like he says it is, then it's a no-brainer. It's a slam dunk. All we have to do is believe and trust. And we'll have that personal relationship with Jesus, which is what we are meant to have. It's what we are created for, to live in the kingdom of God. I want to invite the band forward at this time. And I just want to take a moment as the band comes back on stage. And wherever you are, you're in the room this morning and you're watching online from home, wherever you may be. I just want to take a moment. Let's get quiet. I just want to ask God to do a little surgery on us, a little, a little heart surgery on us. And I think as we hear tough verses like this, it's an opportunity for all of us, no matter where we are in our, in our faith and in our journey, it's an opportunity for us to ask God to, to work on our hearts and Make sure nothing's got in the way. Make sure we're not missing it. Make sure we're not trying to earn our way to God or to, to do something that we, we, we think is going to make God happy with us, but to realize that it's all about a relationship. It's all about what Jesus came and did for us, and he just wants us to know him, and he wants to know us. See, for some of us, we hear the words of Jesus, and we say, well, God, there was a time when I was walking that path, but I've drifted. I've went the wrong way, I, I missed the marker, and now I'm on a different trail, and I'm with everybody else. I'm thinking differently, and I'm living differently. Maybe that's you, and I think what Jesus would say to you is, come back. Come back. Come back to the right road. Come back through me. And it's as easy as, as us just re repenting, and, and it's, God, sorry for allowing my eyes to be pulled away. But Jesus, do some work in my heart and bring me back. God is faithful. 
John says in 1 uh, John 1, 9 that, that God is faithful, that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He sets us back on the right path. Maybe that's you, and maybe today it's time for you to recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've wandered for so long, and Jesus is saying, come home. Maybe for somebody else, you've never made that decision. And you've, you've tried to work your way to God by trying to understand and, and show God that you're worthy, but Jesus says that's not the way. The way is just to believe. And I'll change your heart. And I'll change your life. So here in a second, forefront, I want to do something that's a little, a little strange. I want us to read the Lord's Prayer together. And if there's somebody in this room, and if you're watching at home online and you're in a busy room, the kids are running around, I'd encourage you to just maybe run to a quiet place, step into, uh, step into another room. And I think when we read these words together, for those of us that know Jesus and are known by Jesus, it's just an affirmation of us remembering what we did. We made that decision to trust him. But as we read and recite these words together, I think it's an encouragement to somebody who may be here with us, maybe watching online, who's a little bit scared to step out and be bold and follow Jesus on the narrow way. So I just want to invite you. Let's all close our eyes, bow our heads, quiet our souls for a moment. And then here in this room, let's do this together. I'm going to read. I want you to repeat it after me. And I pray that in this moment, God moves in somebody's heart right now to draw them to him, to help them see that he is the one that came and traded places. And it's through him that he gives us life. So, Father, I pray that you do something special right now in this room and throughout the homes that are tuning in online all over this city and this state and this country right now. So, Forefront, will you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. I believe you are the Son of God and came and gave your life for me. Come into my life and help me trust you more and more each day. Help me to be the person you created me to be. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Forefront, I, I just pray that somebody here today, somebody tuning online, made the decision right then to recommit themselves to Jesus, to put their faith in Jesus the first time. And I want you to know if you made that decision today, we celebrate that with you. The Bible tells us that the, angel, the angels in heaven are cheering and high-fiving and throwing a party because they're welcoming you into the kingdom of God. And if you made that decision, you're here today, come grab me, grab Todd or Hunter, one of our elders, Pete, Darren, and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to give you some resources to help you on this journey. If you're tuning in online, I encourage you to go to our website. Under our resources tab, there's a, a, a link that says, I said yes to Jesus. We want to know and celebrate with you. And we want to help you become the person Jesus created you to be. In him, we find life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's stand and continue to sing to him.